0: Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here with us this morning. My name is Danny. I'm the Tierra Santa Campus Director. And if you're a guest with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us on Moving Up Weekend. It's an exciting weekend for us around here, especially for me. I have some kids that are in student ministries. My youngest is getting to go to the middle now, which is super cool. And then my oldest is um, in eighth grade, so we're still kind of hanging out in there. But it's times of transition for us as family. Like we saw On that video, parents, you can kind of dry your eyes, all of you that had daughters that grew up, you kind of feel that, and then a little bit of the angst from the dirty room. Like, I know that, right? (laughs) Hey, today, we're going to be talking about something Pastor Marcus kind of let out of the bag at worship, and I think it's something that every single one of us deal with. I think it's something that defines our culture, it defines our world and our society, and it's this right here, stress. Every single one of us deal with stress, be it good stress, be it bad stress. Researchers used to say that stress was only bad, but now they're finding that the results of good stress and bad stress are kind of almost the same on the body. And there's all kinds of things that stress can do to us. When we're experiencing stress in our lives, it can make us just respond in ways that are absolutely like agitated and people are kind of like, whoa. And then there's times that stress causes us to do some funny stuff. It causes us to do some goofy things. And in my life, I think of one of the goofiest, craziest things that's ever happened. And the thing about this story is I don't necessarily recollect every detail, but there's a detail that um, my family and really close friends will never let me live down. And now I've been through two services, and this is a third, and more people that probably won't let me live this down. It happens. It goes down like this. It happened the night before my middle son, Colt, was born. Um, The whole week leading up to that, we'd been doing the old elusive, we're going to walk this baby out. It worked with our first son, and I remember my wife was like, she said the word that I think a lot of you... Women, may our ladies have said the, the week before your baby was born, get this thing out of me, right? So we go to the mall and we're walking and we're walking and walking, and finally that night it happened. She goes, starts having contractions about every three to five minutes, and we said, okay, we better head home and start getting ready for what's to come. So we head back to the house, we kind of get everything closed down for the evening, and I say the words. That will probably make a lot of you who've been pregnant laugh. I said, hey, we should probably get some rest. And it's September in Southern California. And my wife is nine months pregnant, sticky, hot, don't touch me, don't look at me, don't breathe on me type of pregnant. And she says, oh, that's cute. (laughs) And just like every other guy, I fall asleep in about, I don't know, 15 seconds, she said. Now... What happens 10 minutes later, I don't necessarily remember this, but I'm told this is what I did. So it was my mom's birthday, and there were some balloons in the house. They were the Mylar balloons, and um, I had installed a ceiling fan that summer for my wife. Now, this ceiling fan... The speed of the blades was like airplane propeller fast. That's why I bought it. It had this amazing, it just blew fast, and it was so much wind. And it kind of, that night, must have created a jet stream in the house because at that moment, those mylar balloons get sucked up into the bedroom, into the fan, into the blades, and start making this noise. That, 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 that. Apparently, my response I sit up exorcist style, like straight up, and I scream, ah, machine guns. <laughs> I have no, no experience. Well, I was in the military, yes, I was in the Coast Guard though. Like we shot machine guns in the range a couple times. This is a pre-9-11 Coast Guard. So I had no reason to scream out machine guns at the top of my voice, but I did. And my family has never let me live that down. The fact is, is stress can cause all kinds of pressure to build up in our life to the point that it just comes out in the weirdest, strangest ways. The pressure continues to build, kind of like this Coke can. I've been watching every single one of you out there. You're stressed that I've been shaking this thing the entire time. You're like, what are you doing with a Coke can? That's like a hand grenade up there. I could open it, but I'm not going to. But think about it for a moment. I'm shaking this can, shaking it up, shaking it up. It's building pressure. It's causing physical stress on this can. And think about your life with stress. It builds. And builds and builds, begins to put physical stress on us. It begins to start doing things in our life, and people see it and they're like, oh my gosh, that person's getting ready to explode. Now, is there a safe way to open this can? Absolutely, there is. 100%, there is. Now, is this can useless? No. You may be thinking, though, Danny, that's a 75-cent can of Coke. Just throw that thing away and go get a new one because you're making me stressed out already. No, this can's not useless. There's a process to opening this can. There's taking a little bit of time to let it settle. And I'd say the same thing is true with us. We're not useless when we're stressed out beyond our max. But there's a process that we have to go through in order to begin to settle from that stress it's a process if i were to open that can right now it would spray all over you and it would be absolutely ridiculous i would have had a whole bunch of people mad at me in the front row I'm looking at you andrew you come get me but when you are at a point in your life where you're so stressed out That everybody around you is like, there's like a no-go zone around you because you're so agitated, you're so angry that like, people are like, man, I don't want anything, I've got to watch myself around that person. And then we're kind of angry at God because it's like, God, look at everything that I'm doing. I'm working so hard and we're so stressed out and we're like, God, where are you? Why aren't you rewarding me for all the amazing things that I'm doing? There are a lot of you in the room right now that know exactly what I'm talking about because it describes where you're at right now. I want you to look at me. I want you to hear this. This is a truth that I want all of us to hold tight to. In fact, if you don't hear anything else that I say this entire message, hold tight to this. If you're at that point... Where you're just like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm angry. I don't know what's going on. I'm just so stressed and I don't see what God is doing. I want you to understand this truth. God cares for me before he cares for the mission. God cares for me first. He cares about my mind. He cares about my body. He cares about my spirit. He cares, he cares about my soul. He cares more about me than the things that I can accomplish. And yes, For every single one of us here, he has a purpose for us, for you. But understand that you and I, we're the purpose for him first because he cares. Because he cares about you and I. Because he cares to provide. He cares to go in front of us in those situations. We may not see it. We may not understand it. We may not like it because it's not necessarily the way we would want it. The fast pace that we've been driving so hard that's getting us so stressed out, God is doing something completely different, and we don't like it. Think about the story that we've been in over the past four weeks: Elijah. Elijah has been in so many different stressful situations. He's gone through so much in his life at this point. For me, when I think of Elijah, it's kind of funny, I've been thinking about who he is and all the different things that he has gone through. And I can't help but think that Elijah is like the Bear grills of Old Testament prophets, right? He's been all over the place, gone on all these crazy, wild adventures. In fact, go back to the first week in this series. And if you weren't here, I'll kind of recap our series. The very first week, he comes on the scene. Now, Elijah, he doesn't come on the scene like a kind of like normal Old Testament prophet does. Whenever you read the story of an Old Testament prophet in Scripture, it usually says, and the word came... To. The word of the Lord came to. Elijah just kind of pops on the scene as in right right in a mission. God says, hey, I need you to go to this corrupt king. His name's Ahab, and I need you to warn him. I need you to tell him that famine and that drought is coming his way. So he goes, and he says, I need you to go to this creek. And at this creek, I'm going to provide for you as this drought and famine really begins to set in. I'm going to provide to you through water and food from ravens. He's probably thinking, from what? From birds? He goes, and it's said that he lives there for about three and a half years, and if you think about that, in three and a half years, you begin to establish daily habits. You begin to establish, like, this is home. This is my place. You adjust to, like, a new normal, and then what happens? God showed up and shook up his life and said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go a hundred miles west, and I need you to go to this place called Zarapath. And he's probably thinking, Elijah's like, That's that's enemy territory. That's a dangerous place. That's where, that's like the very heartbeat of Baal worship. All those gods, all those people, Jezebels from there. But he goes, and God went before him again, provided for him again. He says, I want you to go meet this widow. And with this widow, I'm going to provide bread and water again. And so Elijah goes. But in the midst of that, her son dies, and Elijah literally resurrects her son in the process of this, which is absolutely incredible. I couldn't imagine. Just these first two things, that's enough for a lifetime for me. Like, I'm done. Like, that's cool. But no, last weekend, we saw Elijah, his life getting shaken up once again, and he's sent to Mount Carmel, and he has this epic battle. The epic battle, which you think is like the absolute pinnacle of Elijah's story. But it's not. Because this week, we see Elijah in another like adrenaline-fueled type of situation. But this time it's different. And the one thing throughout this entire story is I've... I've really been able to almost identify with Elijah and how he's responded in some of the situations that he's been in. Elijah, to me, kind of seems more like a, a, a man than some of the other Old Testament prophets because sometimes I read Old Testament prophets and I'm like, that's just too hard to believe. That's almost like a fairy tale. It's almost like a story. But Elijah, think about it. Elijah responds in situations where he breaks. He cries out. He questions God. He's like, what is going on? And I'm like, man, Elijah would respond like, like I think maybe you and I would. In fact, the book of James talks about it. It says this, Elijah was a human being even as we are. And that's a good reminder for us sometimes. Because I think we can get lost in this idea that we have to live at this fast pace and we're superhuman and we're going to be able to accomplish everything and everything is on our shoulders and we've got it all together. And God says, no, you're just a human. Your life is finite. It's not infinite like mine. You need to sleep. You need to rest. You're going to break. Why? He knows because he designed us. He knows Because he's the one that put us together. So if you're at that place today, or maybe you've been there before, I want to ask this question. How do we, how do I, live at a pace that honors the way God designed me? How do I live at a pace that truly honors the way God designed me, not the way society tells me? Because... It's fast-paced, it's stressful, and sometimes we think that that's what we have to do, and we believe the lie of what we're told on how fast we're supposed to live and the things that we're supposed to accomplish and we're supposed to be these super, superhuman people, and we begin to break, and we become at that breaking moment right there, that's like the moment of honesty. Because if we're really going to look at how we can live at that pace, we really have to start getting honest about what place we're living at. We may not realize we're going 9,000 miles per hour, that we're a train off the track. Everybody else in your life does. And we could deny it for so long. But if we're actually going to be able to, to live at a pace that our body was designed at, we have to get Honest. We have to get honest at which the pace we are living. This whole story of Elijah is Elijah living at a, an extremely, extremely fast pace from one adrenaline filled episode to another. And today's no different. He's put in this situation where it's even more dire, even more fast pace, but something's different. This time, Elijah's on the run because he's in fear of his life. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and pick them up and open to 1 Kings chapter 19 and we'll start trekking in verse 1. Last week we spent the time in chapter 18. We closed it out. It was the epic battle of of Elijah on Mount Carmel and now in 19 we begin to see some of the effects, after effects of what happened that day. So it says this, starting in verse 1. Now Ahab, this is King Ahab, says this, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. This is 850 prophets, if you remember from the story last week. That's 400 Baal prophets. That's 450 Asherah uh, prophets. That's 850 prophets. And Ahab tells Jezebel, hey, Look what he did. And Jezebel responds like this. She sends a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. And what did Elijah do? Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Absolutely. That is like, that's Queen Jezebel. She was probably one of the most feared individuals at that time, and he gets this message from her. It's almost like, think of her, and this is going to sound really silly, but she's like uh, like Cruella de Vil, or she's like um, the, the, the queen from uh, Sleeping Beauty <laughs> in that time period. You think about that, just the evilness, just the, the like when you hear a message from her, it puts fear in your body, and Elijah responds, and he's on the run, afraid for his life. You would think after last week, though, that he would get some rest. He has this epic battle, and it's like, maybe it's time, you know, this is probably mission complete for Elijah. He's done what God has called him to do. It's time to get rest. No, it's not. God puts him into another situation, but this time, it's even more stressful. And I think of my life, and I think there's been some situations where I was like, man, I was super stressed, but only to find out that the stress hadn't even started. And I have a tendency when I'm in seasons like that to completely ignore everything around me, especially myself, and it starts to have some effects on my life. And one of the things that I think we have to do is we look at this pace that we're living. Yes, we have to get honest, but we also have to pay attention to how our bodies were created to respond to stress. Pay attention how they were designed, created to respond to stress. I read this article this week from the Mayo Clinic and it talks about this idea of the world that we live in and the stress that we're under. And it says, it says this, and the article was entitled um, "Our Stress Symptoms Effects on Your Body and Behavior. And it says this. It started the article and asked the question, what can stress do to your body? Indeed, stress symptoms can affect your body, your thoughts and feelings and your behavior. If you've ever been in stress, you understand that. We can agree with that. The second thing it says is being able to recognize common stress symptoms can help you manage them. It's all about that point, paying attention to how our bodies were created to respond to stress. Now, this is the warning that it gives, and I really took this away from the article in my own life. It says stress that's left unchecked can contribute to many health problems, such as high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, and diabetes. High blood pressure, yeah, I've struggled with that. Obesity, yeah, I'm overweight. Diabetes, yes, I I have that. It's like ding, 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 Yahtzee. It's the perfect situation for me just to break under stress. I love this quote. I think it really hits the point of what I'm trying to say here. It says, unless we are intentional choosing, this is a big word right here, choosing to live life differently, everything in our world demands, we live at an unsustainable pace. The world's fast. Our bodies were not designed to constantly be going at that breakneck speed. It's going to come to a point where it's going to break us. When I think of my life, last year, last year was a crazy year for me. Things just got too much. There was medical issues with my wife, work was kind of really stressful, a lot of changes and a lot of things were going on. And and I have three boys and that's stressful enough, right? Three kids, that's crazy enough. But the problem was, is I was ignoring the stress. And what happens is it started to cost me. I started to feel sick. I started to feel like something was wrong and I was lightheaded and I wasn't sleeping really well. I wasn't necessarily eating really well. And, man, it was like I was a mess. And my wife said, hey, you better go to the doctor because there might be something wrong with your diabetes. There might be something that's going on. I said, you know what? You're, you're right. So I, I made an appointment with my doctor. And my, my primary physician, he is a straight-up, black-and-white, no-punches-pulled, like, directly-in-your-face type of guy. And that's the kind of doctor I need because if I had anybody else, I probably wouldn't <laughs> listen, to be honest with you. But he is, like, the real deal. And I come in, and he says, all right, Danny, what's going on? I kind of walked through everything, and he goes, tell tell me everything that's going on right now. And I said, well, you know, the last year at work's been crazy. It's been kind of up and down and different things like that. That's really weird. That was a bug. (laughs) That's never happened before. Uh, But stress was just setting in with my job, and then I told him about what was going on with my wife, Jennifer, that she had had all kinds of tests, and she'd gone through biopsies, and we didn't have any answers from doctors, and it kept seeing, like, all we were doing was getting pushed from this specialist to that specialist, and that costs a lot of money, and there's all these tests, and I said, and then I got three boys, and I'm going to have a teenager, and he's like, whoa, 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 time out. He's like, bro, here's two things. He's like, I don't even have to think about this. He goes, we took your blood pressure. Your blood pressure is off the charts, like You're stressing me out with your blood pressure. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to prescribe you some blood pressure pills. And I was like, great. Another pill to add to my pill box. I'm 44, and my pill box looks like my dad's when he was 67. Maybe I need to get my life in check a little bit. (laughs) But then he said this, and I'll, I'll never forget it. He goes, Danny, you're having a problem seeing outside of your situation It sounds like you feel like you're boxed in. And he goes, here's what the true diagnosis is. He's all, you're smack dab in the middle of depression. You're so filled with anxiety, depression has got you broken. He says, I want to do something. He goes, I want to help you. I want to help you right now. He goes, I'm going to prescribe you something. And he prescribed me these right here. They're called Welbutrin. They're depression pills, anxiety pills. I take 450 milligrams of these a day. I take two in the morning. I take one at night. And those three pills, for the last 10 months, have helped me get through one of the toughest seasons I've ever experienced in my life. I've been on these before. The last time was when my dad died. That just ruined me. When my dad passed away, that was a horrible season for me. But I was going through these tough things and these tough times. And the depression just got so big that, that I realized that, like, I had to do something. My doctor gave me these. And, and I want to say this. In fact, I want to just stop for a second. I want to normalize this conversation. I want to remove the stigma from this conversation. Because I know there's a lot of us out here that are on these pills. And I'm sorry that as the church, we've made you feel like you're not a whole person. That you're broken and need to get fixed, or you just need your faith to get right, or read your Bible more, or pray harder. Great, I need guilt and shame along with my depression. I'm already dealing with that. You come to the church broken to be made whole. Why would we tell you in the midst of your brokenness that you're too broken for us? There's nothing wrong with these guys. There are seasons in our life where we absolutely need help, something more than what we can do, and God has blessed doctors and and, and, uh, the right people in the medical field with the right education, the right knowledge, all of that stuff to make things like this so that you and I can live life. It's okay. In fact, I want this church to be a place that's known that people can come and it's okay not to be okay because it's a safe place it's the church we come here in our brokenness with all of our stuff, all of our stress all of our depression, all of our anxiety everything that we've going on and we're looking for an answer and that's Jesus and you're telling me my relationship isn't strong enough well no kidding don't be ashamed you're not a second class person you're not too broken for God. You're in a place that's safe and you can find that healing that you're looking for. Look at this quote with me. I think it sums it up best. Long term stress is a predecessor to depression, but it's not detectable in the beginning. It's well disguised by growing success, financial prosperity, or people's accolades. And listen, it feels good. The problem is, is it numbs everything around me, right? It says that. The numbing effects from all this keep you pressing forward, leading on empty until the bottom falls out. Then success is no longer your goal, healing is. And I'd say be careful when you think you've hit your bottom because sometimes the trap door opens up and you really hit your bottom. This is a phenomenal book. I want to recommend it. It's called Leading on Empty. And every single one of us, lead somewhere in our lives. And yes, we run a lot of the time on empty. And Wayne Credero uh, writes this book, and it's just phenomenal. Pick it up if this is starting to ring true in your life. If you're like, man, I really need to understand what's being said here, and I want to learn more. The story continues on in verse 3. And we start to see Elijah beginning to break. But then in the midst of the breaking, we'll see here in a, in a few more minutes, that, that God begins to step in. So in verse 3 again, Elijah's on the run, right? He's afraid for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. And he says this in one of the most broken, probably, tones he's ever had in his life. He says... I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Elijah's broken. He's giving up, basically, at this point. But I think if Elijah would have had the opportunity to speak to a counselor or a therapist at this point... The counselor would have said, okay, hold up. So you went there, had to go to creek, widow, resurrection, battle. Now, okay, here's what it is. Elijah, you have to stop because you're burnt out. You're burnt out. Elijah, you can't keep going at that speed. You're going to fall apart. But think about your life when you're at that breaking point. And maybe you're not paying attention to what's going on around you. Maybe you're still trying to take control. In fact, you're not sleeping well, so every day at around 3 o'clock, and this is a personal testimony because I've done this many seasons of my life, 3 o'clock, you're running to Starbucks for more coffee or you're running to the vending machine for an energy drink just to make it through the day because you're so stressed. And sleep yeah, right, you don't know what's going on in my life. I can't sleep. I got these voices constantly telling me all this stuff that I got to do and that I didn't do, and I've got to take care of those things, and I've got to do it, but there's a point where we're about to explode or we've exploded where we get a sense of humbleness. Some A humbling moment usually happens in our life where we realize, like, oh, man, I can't do this anymore, and we give it up. It's like, it's like the first step in 12-step recovery. It says we come to a point where we realize our life is powerless and we're absolutely unable to do anything about it. But then the promise comes in step two, that there is something greater than us. God is greater than us, and he can, he can be the only one. In fact, he is the only one that can restore the sanity in our lives. See, in order to begin to slow that pace down, not only do we have to get honest, we have to surrender and give it to God. We have to allow God to really be the person that's directing our recovery, no longer us. I say this, we got ourselves into the ditch in the first place, right? The stressed out mess. How do we think we can be the person to get ourselves out of the ditch? We see this As the story continues on, Elijah, on the run, has this first encounter with this angel that tells him to get up and eat as he sits underneath this broom brush. Here's here's an interesting fact. That broom brush, that type of tree, was the exact same bush or tree that Jonah sat in after his experience and said the exact same words. Lord, take my life. I can't do it anymore. Maybe that should be called the depression tree or something like that. the Anyways, look at this. Starting in verse 5, it says this. Again, then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. I'd imagine seeing that bread and water again. Probably kicked up a memory of like, oh, God is here. God has gone before me. God does provide for me. It brings back the memories of everything that he's been through before. And I think God does that to us on a regular basis. He'll send those little reminders. Continues on and said, the angel of the Lord came back a second time. Said, Elijah, you're hard-headed. Why don't you listen? Listen. It usually takes me four times, but anyways, Elijah too. The, then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. It's in these verses that we finally see Elijah beginning to take his rest a forced rest. A hard-headedness taking two times to be told to eat and rest. To replenish all the resources that have been taken out of his body. All the energy and everything. And we can learn exactly from that because we have to do the same thing. We have to take time to replenish my expended reserves. All that energy, all that life that stress has sucked out of us, the relationships, all that stuff... We can't begin to even look at bringing any type of restoration or anything in those situations until we have the energy within us, until we've finally taken the time to stop. We've taken the time to stop and get some rest, to sleep. We see that in verse 5. Elijah lays under that tree and finally gets some sleep. And what happens next? He eats. When I ever meet with somebody... I'm talking to them about what they're going through in their life, and it's super stressful. I ask them two questions How are you sleeping? Because I know they're not. And I said, How are you eating? And I know it's horrible. In fact, if you're in a situation where all your food is coming through a window in a bag, (laughs) maybe you need to slow down a little bit and drink water. You get dehydrated. Your mouth gets dry have you ever felt that when you're in such a stressful moment that you're like super stressed out and your voice like you can't talk and your mouth is super dry and you're like oh my god i just need some water then stop and take a drink and just like it says on the back of a shampoo bottle rinse and repeat go through the process again sleep eat And drink water but guys are you are you routinely ignoring the basics of sleeping eating water does your life look like this that's stressful right if you're a car mechanic you're like where'd you get that picture that's awful if your car currently looks like this you're in trouble in fact let me call you an uber (laughs) but think about this Our life has so many different warning signs that constantly go off, right? Like, I'm tired. I'm irritable. We have people tell us that. Like, you could could be driving down the road and be like, yo, your car smokes like it's out of control. I think that those lights up there are telling that car it needs to eat or something like that. Just when I saw that picture, I was like, man, I know what that's like to live like that. But what happens if your car does look like that? Now, that's just every light. I don't think that will ever happen in somebody's life. If it does, tell me, because I'd love to see it. You take that car to the shop, right? You take that car to the shop where it sits and it gets fixed. We'll take our car there, but we won't do the same thing to ourselves. We don't give ourselves the opportunity to rest. And listen, I love this quote right here. Sometimes the godliest thing you and I can do is take a nap. And I know that sounds silly, right? Listen, that is one of the most quoted lines I've heard multiple times in sermons. I've heard that so many times, and I'm going to give you a secret about pastors and quotes. The first time we say it, we'll tell you who said it. The second time we say it, we'll say, I've always heard. The third time we say it, it's mine and I created this saying. I did not create this. In fact, I think the first person to ever say it was Jesus he says it in Mark chapter 6. Look at verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This whole idea of come with me by yourselves, I would love to really dig deep into that because I think it's just not, I think it's just, not just about leaving people behind, but it's about leaving all of our junk behind as well. Because that can carry just as much weight, if not more, as people. It can weigh us down. It can cause us to just constantly run at this pace. And Jesus is telling his disciples here 2,000 years ago, and he's telling us today, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Guys, do you rest daily? Do you Sabbath weekly and retreat regularly regularly? 2019 language, do you sleep, do you take a day off, and do you take a vacation? I heard them ask, hey, anybody taking summer vacation? That was a dismal response. We live in San Diego, you can take a di- stay, stay vacation, right? Stay, what are they called? Staycations, right? <laughs> but it's true. Do you sleep? Do you take a day off? God designed the week with one day of rest. Do you actually honor that in your life, the Sabbath? man, I struggle with that. I work all weekend. Monday morning, I work again. I do some stuff on Monday, and Friday's supposed to be my day off, but I don't have time to finish up all my appointments during the week, so I make appointments on Friday. Coffee, lunch, all the good things. Those feel good, right? But my, my wife will say about four weeks into that routine, hey, remember the marriage thing and the kids? You need to take a day off. Are you the person that HR has to send an email on a regular basis and remind you that your vacation time, you can't accrue anymore because it's at its max. If that's the email you get, it's time to take some time off and rest. You don't need to go to some fancy place or anything like that. It might just be taking some time with your family away from work, away from the stress. Look at what happens to Elijah here. Elijah goes into this idea of retreat. He's ran for his life. He's been provided for. And now look what happens here in the last part of this passage. We're going to close out the passage. We're going to read verses 9 through 18. And it says this. There he went into a cave and spent the night. He's resting. He's retreating. And this is what happens. Here's the experience that that Elijah goes through right here. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, oh, the Israelites, they've rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and, and put, put the prophets, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And, and you know what? They're now trying to kill me too. He's done, D-O-N-E, done, cooked. It continues on. And God answers him. In the midst of all this, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore through the mountains apart, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Whenever you read in the Old Testament, it talks about this wind and earthquake and fire. It means the presence of the Lord is coming. It's about to happen, but Elijah's like, it didn't happen. But after the fire, a gentle whisper. All the craziness going on in Elijah's head and the thoughts. God, there's an earthquake and fire and wind and God comes not through the mighty noise of that or the craziness of that. He comes in a whisper. When Elijah heard it, because he must have been shut down at that point, he'd seen God move, that he finally was able to sit and be still and hear that whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) He goes right back. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, the Israelites. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too, probably frustrated at this point. I've already told you this. Why are you asking me the same question? And God answers him. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Anoint, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha. It's really confusing. We did an Elijah and Elisha series, right? The names are kind of confusing. Next week, we kick off this series on Elisha that really continues this story of the anointing and forward, and it's powerful. So what we see is now Elisha is getting anointed, and he's the son of Saphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed uh, succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah's mission is about to come to an end. His stress has caused him to a point of just absolutely breaking. And God sees it. And Elijah listens, and it's at the point where Elijah begins to really process, I think, begins to process what's gonna happen next, and that's what we have to do. As we're going through this process of stress and being honest about the pace that we're looking and beginning to really look at the, the healthy habits that we need to establish, this is one of them, recognizing the purpose of emotions and processing them appropriately appropriately healthy habits we need to establish healthy habits because it's the stressful habits that got us to where we're at it's the healthy habits that will begin to take us where we need to go some of the healthy habits are these voice what you're feeling stop shoving it down we see Elijah do that in verse 10. He voices what's going on. He's screaming it out. He's tired of shoving it down. How much can you actually shove down in your life before it comes spewing out of your mouth? You don't want me to open this right now. And there's people in your life that want you to slow down and not explode. We need a silence Every voice but his, every single voice, the voice in our head, one of the biggest voices I think that screams out to me in a time of stress or crisis or when I look at my life when it's just out of control is fear. Fear is a voice that loves to scream at me and tell me how inadequate I am and how much I screwed up and how I can't do this and how I can't do that. But I'll tell you this, fear, fear's a liar. Fear will keep you paralyzed. Paralyzed. Fear will keep you in those strongholds and the bondage that you've been in because of stress. The crisis mode that you're tired of being in, fear will keep you there. But fear's a liar. And we need to silence those voices in our head. Why? Why do we need to silence them? So we can begin to experience God's presence. We can hear We're loud, clanging noises. Maybe God is trying to whisper to you, to slow you down, and says, stop and listen. And this last step, to me, is one of the most important. Get help moving forward. I remember feeling shame when I first got these. Because I was like, man, I'll probably have to live my life on these. And you know what, if I have to, that's great, because I know that's going to help me but these are for a season. I think they're for a season, (laughs) baby. But there's no shame in this. I put the shame aside and said, no, I'm going to get help. And I would tell you right now, if you're in a situation where you're like, yeah, I, I think I need that help, make an appointment with your doctor. Make an appointment with your therapist or a counselor and get some help. Because I'll tell you this, if you don't, You will go down a very dark path, a path that can lead to absolute destruction in your life. I've seen it take somebody to death, and I don't want that to happen to any of us here. Get some help. If you need a counselor or a therapist because you're like, yeah, I want to take that next step, please come talk to me. I can get you connected. We have an amazing, amazing therapist that speaks here about every four or five weeks, Amy Elliott. And just sitting in her messages feels like a counseling session, right? But I want to I wanna lean in, and I want to talk to moms, and then I want to talk to dads. Oh, moms of littles. I have three of them. And I watch my wife every day, no matter what stressful situation she may find herself in. And ladies, you probably understand this. She gets up because the little one, Jace, gets up. And he wants chocolate milk, and he wants Paw Patrol, and he wants his blanket, and he wants love. Every day. And my wife, huh, I watch her, and, and it's, it's amazing because she, she'll set herself aside and maybe shove the things down and go help him. But ladies, I'll say this. If you're stressed out, I think of the single moms. All you single moms out there that are doing it by yourself, you don't have a break. You don't have anybody to step in and help you. Maybe one of the best ways for you to take that next step and get help is join a life group. Talk to your friends. Talk to some friends and say, hey, can you just take them for like five minutes so I can get some sanity in my life can you, if I give you money will you go take them so I can like maybe clean my house or something like that, my wife is like she will, she will model that for me she's like I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take the kids to your mom's for a little while because we need a break there's help out there but we have to be willing to go look for it dads the rat race that you're in to provide I get it I face that on a regular basis. We live in San Diego, guys. It's expensive. And we want to provide a good living for our families. We want to be able to go on vacation and do the things with our families. So we run, 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 go, 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 and we break. Or we just keep going and never stop. And our family's like, hey, remember us over here that you're trying to provide for but you do nothing with? Stop. Yes, be a wonderful provider. Yes, be that protector of the home, but also be willing to be vulnerable in the home. Also be willing to lay your shield down for your wife and say, Can you help me? And together, or on whatever, when you're willing to step into that role of humility, guys, ladies, I believe God begins speak through a whisper I want to close with this verse and to me it's one of the most powerful verses about this idea of rest this is Jesus in chapter 11 in the book of Matthew he says this come to me all you who are weary stressed out depressed filled with anxiety everything come to me all who you all who are weary and burden and what does he say I'll give you more no he says I will give you rest. Rest. Come to me. I don't care where you're at. I don't care what you're experiencing if it's stress, anxiety, depression. He says Come to me, all who are weary, and lay those burdens. Give me those burdens, because I want to give you rest. Maybe that's the word you need to walk away with today is rest. Because stress, stresses is just too much, and you're broken, and you're tired, and you want to sleep. And it may be a season where you need to stop and finally get some rest. Guys, let's pray. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Let me ask this. And you can raise your hand. How many of you are in that season right now where stress is just all-consuming? Stress is this overwhelming your life. You're running at a pace that just is too hard, too fast, too much, and you need rest. I see you. I see you. Absolutely. Thank you. Now, there may be some of you that raised your hand that hear this verse and hear about this person, Jesus, but you've never had a relationship with him. Or maybe you've walked away from him. The stress in your life has pushed you away from him. If that's you, I'd love to, to ask you to raise your hand. I see you. I'm going to pray for us as a church. I'm going to pray in a powerful moment. In fact, what I want you guys to do is I want you guys to stand. We're going to stand together as a church, and we're going to pray for each other. We're going to put our hands out, if you're comfortable, and in agreement, and pray for each other in a powerful way as the church. So, Father God, we thank you this morning, Lord. We thank you because we know you are faithful. God, we know that you have gone before us and will provide for us. But, God, we need the strength. All of us need the strength to set aside the busyness, the craziness, whatever it is in life so that we can begin to just stop and be still and listen Listen for your voice in that whisper. God, my prayer is that as we leave out of here, that this next week, we remember that no matter what we face, no matter what situation we may be in, God says, come to me. Come to me, oh weary one. Come to me with your burdens, because I want to give you. Father, give us rest. Father, give us the ability to look at our life and realize that stress, stress is not what you've called us to. So Father, we love you and we praise you. And we pray this all in your son's glorious name.